Pray with me, please. Our Father and our, our God, we are grateful once again that we have the opportunity to hear from you in order that we may once again be directed in how we are to order our lives that would bring you glory, honor, and praise that would reflect your image and your likeness to others around us that they may desire to want to have you as the friend that you promised that you would be to all of us. And so, Lord, today, this evening, we thank you once again and we commit ourselves and your word to you. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would take it and do with it as you see fit, that you indeed might get the glory. For we are ever mindful that your word never returns to you void. And so we commit it to you. Ask, O oh Lord, that you be glorified and your people be edified. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. As you would see in your bulletin, while the sole desire of a lot of people that we rub shoulders with and that we probably come in contact with every day, uh, some of them have the sole desire for being on earth is simply to live it up. But when we look at the news reports and the crime stats, and we listen to them on the radio, we uh, must come to the conclusion that there are a lot of people who are living empty lives. And the question is, how do we respond to the affliction of emptiness that we see around us so much? This emptiness that seemed to lead so many people astray, off the path that they really should be on. This evening we want to look just briefly, with an emphasis on briefly, on how we can live it up in every sense of the word, not from a secular perspective. Because normally when we hear that phrase, it's normally in the context of a secular perspective. But we want to look at it from a response to the choice God offers us to live life to the fullest. Because it's really God who offers us a choice to really live it up. Some years ago, a church service was interrupted by an unexpected guest who entered the church in the middle of the service and he walked right up to the front. Instead of taking a seat, he stood there he had a gun in one hand, a revolver in, his, in one hand, and he had a leash attached to a German shepherd dog in the other hand. To the shock of the church audience and a live television audience, he shot the dog to death and then turned the gun on himself and took his own life. It's not just a sad tragedy, but it's also a shame that life could be so empty 
and so lack of meaning that a man would choose death rather than life. It's such tragic occurrences as, as this that raises the question in our minds over and over again. What is it really that gives life its meaning? People have been searching for that the answer to that question since time and memorial. What is it? For many, life means just to live it up, which is the same as saying, have a good time, have fun, enjoy life. Some people use the phrase, have a ball. When I was working in banking, on every Friday we would hear members of staff talking about how they want to, on this weekend, paint the town red. Well, it means the same thing. All those phrases mean the same thing as to live it up. We all want to have a good time. We all want to enjoy life and have fun. We all want to have a ball. I don't know about painting the town red, but we all want to have a good time, right? Isn't that so? We all want to have a good time. And there's no doubt that it's God's will for people to have a good time. It's God's will for his people to live it up. You may not want to use that term, but that's what it amounts to. It means the same thing. God wants his people to have a good time. God wants his people to have fun. He wants, to enjoy, wants them to enjoy life. He wants them to have a ball. And this is what Jesus said uh, in John 10.10. 10. He said the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them life. Give them a rich and satisfying life. A rich and satisfying life is living life. A good life. It's living it up. Unlike the thief who wants to take life. Jesus gives life. And this life is. As he described it. Rich. Unfulfilling. Even though it's eternal. It's immediate. It's right away. We don't have to wait for it. It's not a promise. It's something that we, we have immediately. And because this life is in Christ and has lived on a higher elevation, it is brimming over. It's overflowing with forgiveness and love and guidance. But despite Jesus' clarity about the kind of life that he offers... Some people are still convinced that to live it up means some other things. For some people to live it up means having pleasure. All the pleasure that they could find. And it has been suggested that the principal endeavor in life after age 16 is to have comfort. That's what has been suggested. Sad to say, the world today is saturated with this playboy philosophy. We see it all around us. When young people turn that age or reach that age, they want nothing more than just to sit back, kick off their shoes and live it up. Have comfort. Enjoy it. Now this is not a new idea. It's an age old idea because Jesus' story in Luke chapter 12 about the rich farmer revolves around this very same idea of pleasure. This rich man majored on pleasure. This rich farmer, he had it made. Well, he could say he had it made in the shade. He said, you know, I've got 
good crop of harvest this year. Things are looking good. No problems. No debts. I'm just going to live it up. I'm just going to have a good time. I'm going to enjoy life. And what did God call him? God called him a fool. But some people think that living, up, living it up also means having education. Because it most certainly gives life its meaning. When I ask if he graduated from Harvard University, a successful businessman replied, no. But 500 of my 2,000 employees did. As important as education is, it's not what gives life its meaning. Yes, we need it. It's a necessity. You got to have it. But it's not what really gives life its meaning. Some of the most educated people in the world are some of the most miserable people in the world. So education is not it. Pleasure is not it that gives life its meaning. And then some people believe that living it up means having physical beauty. Because somehow it gives life its meaning to them. The drive to look and stay young is all the craze today. People are constantly trying to find all kinds of ways and formulas to stay young. Plastic surgery and and, uh, silicone injections and Grecian formula, all of that stuff, just to name a few. A whole lot of stuff people are coming up with today to stay young, to remain long, young, because they believe that that is what gives life its meaning. That is how they can live it up. Never mind what Peter says when he made it clear that it's what's really on the inside that really counts. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 4, he says, you should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from where? Within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is what? So precious to God. God is not caught up with the looks on the outward appearance and all that stuff. In fact, the Bible tells us that it's not what's on the outside that counts. God is more concerned with what's on the inside. You know, when, they were, when, when the children of Israel were looking for a king, They were looking for the most handsome young fellow they could find. God says, no, I I want somebody who's right on the inside. And so if it's not pleasure, and it's not education, and it's not physical beauty that gives life its meaning and enables people to live it up, what is it? Well, if we've accepted Jesus Christ's offer of life, salvation, you have, you, have, you have actually chosen to live it up simply by accepting Christ's offer of salvation. You have also already chosen to do that. But our text this evening, however, gives us God's admonition that must actually be followed in order to make it a reality in our daily lives. In other words, we've got it, but we need to flesh it out. We have what it takes to live it up. But how do we flesh it out? Deuteronomy chapter 30. Just two verses. Verses 19 and 20 is our text this evening. And it says, Today I have given you the choice between life and death. Between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life. So that you 
and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the remedy, the only remedy for an empty life is living for a purpose. It's one of the first things we see in this passage. Purpose. If we don't have a purpose to live for, we're in trouble. Notice today I have given you a choice. Purpose. The choice between life and death. Between blessings and cursing. Curses. So we have a purpose to live for. Purpose is the key for man's primary need in our world today. Uh, There are a number of psychiatrists who agree with that because they've studied it, they've looked at it, and a number of them have come to the conclusion that man's problem is emptiness. One of them said the central neurosis of our time is emptiness. Another one said, on the basis of my clinical practice, as well as my psychological and and my psychiatric colleagues, The chief problem of people in the middle of the 20th century is emptiness. And another of the colleagues agreed. He says the state of inner emptiness is at present one of the major challenges of psychiatry. And so a lot of people who study the behavior of people, the problems that people are having today, come to the the same conclusion that man's problem, primary need in our day and time is emptiness. Everybody is looking to fill that void. And they're trying to stuff everything into that void. But nothing nothing seems to fit. They can never find fulfillment. So how do we respond to this affliction of emptiness that is leading so many people astray? Including Christians all mixed up and confused. The key is to determine a purpose for your life and mine. Do you have a purpose? What purpose are you living for? We'll know that Anyone who is successful in their field is a goal-oriented person. And as commonly stated, if we don't make our goals, our goals will make us. And so, in order to be able to live it up from God's perspective, based on responding to the choice that God has given us, we need a purpose. But then once a goal is set, we must pursue that goal or it may be more than one goal. We, may, we must pursue those goals or goals with a positive spirit. Otherwise, you'll defeat the whole purpose of having a purpose. And so, a positive spirit is what we need to have by living with a positive attitude. Verse 19 again says, Oh, that you would choose so that you and your descendants might live. You may choose not to be a skeptic. You may choose not to be negative, but to choose to be positive. Oh, that you would choose life. Now there's another alternative. If you've got an alternative, a choice of choosing life, then you've got something else that you can choose. It's either blessings or cursings. You see, the power of positive thinking is much more than a theme made famous by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. What it is, is actually the secret 
to a fulfilling and abundant life. Now isn't that what God promised us? Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. God wants us to live life to the fullest. And that's basically what living it up really is all about. Remember that some of the greatest accomplishments the world has seen has been things that people said could not be done. And we probably could remember a few of them. During the 15th century, everyone believed that you could not sail west from Europe and, you, and reach the far east. And while many people were so busy declaring that it could not be done, Columbus did it. And then after that, it was said that humans could never fly. They'll never be able to fly. If God wanted humans to fly, he would have made them with wings. But while many people were caught up in the hype of its impossibility, the Wright brothers did it. And so a positive attitude of expectancy grounded in God, in a God who was able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, is what enabled the Apostle Paul to declare, I can do all things, not some things, but I can do all things through Christ or through him who strengthens me. And so we need a purpose to live for. But in order for that purpose to become a reality, we need to have a positive attitude. But then there's another ingredient for living a successful life and evading that emptiness that so many are caught up in. And that is a successful life. The, another needed ingredient for living a successful life is living with a persistence. Persistence to remain at the task. We have become very good of starting off with a big bang and then just fizzling right out. We see it in ministry all the time. People get into, get into ministry with all the hype and the excitement and enthusiasm and over time it just fizzles right out. The lack of persistence kills a lot of ministry and it, it, it makes a lot of gifts in the body of Christ become null and void. So sticking with the choices we make is sometimes determined by a reliable witness. If you have someone who's going to witness that you made a commitment, that you made a choice, in order to stick with that commitment, the choice that you've made, you need a witness who's going to be there. And verse 19 also says, Now I command heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. There's a witness for all of us to whatever choices we make. You see, we don't make those choices that we make day in and day out in isolation. There's a witness. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness the choice. Not just earth, but heaven. Remember Hebrews talk about that cloud of witnesses that are surrounding, that are watching? Well, heaven and earth is the witness. Since everyone's desire is to have good life and get away from death and evil, happiness is most desired and misery is most dreaded. I can't think of anybody that I know of or would ever encounter that's looking for a life of misery. I mean, they get it. It happens simply because they make the wrong choices. But nobody's looking for a life of dread and misery. 
If anyone ever asked him the secret of his life, Paul Harvey said he would, he would simply tell them, I get up when I fall down. How many of us do that? When we fall, do we wallow in the mud and, and throw a great big pity party for ourselves? Or do we get up? Do we exhibit a persistence? Because that's a part of living it up. Based on the promises that God has given us. But unlike Paul Harvey, the main reason why many miss, miss out on what life has to offer is simply because they turn and leave the dock before their ship comes in. It takes persistence. Impatience will not work when it comes to living the life to the fullest that God wants us to live. If you really want to live with it from God's perspective, persistence is needed. But most importantly, a life, a full life is experienced when we are living for a person. When we are living for someone. And this truth is expressed in our text in these verses. Verse 20. He says, you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him. Notice, a couple of things that he mentions here. First of all, the choice we make, we can make it by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and thirdly, committing yourself firmly to him. Not wishy-washy to him, but firmly to him. There was a cartoon uh, depiction of, of peanuts known as a little cartoon, and uh, one of them said that I, when I grow up, I'm going to be a, a fanatic. Um, so he says, what are you going to be a fanatic about? He says, well, I'm just going to be a sort of wishy-washy fanatic. Well, a wishy-washy Christian just wouldn't do for us. We need to commit ourselves firmly to him. And notice what he says. This is the key to your life. Now, what is the key for? What do we need a key for? What does a key do? It opens stuff that is locked, right? If something is locked, you need a key to open it. Or unless it has a combination. But still a combination is the key. But notice he says, this is the key. What is the key? Loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. That is the key to your life. If you don't have that key, you can't live life to the fullest. You really can't live it up the way God wants you to live it up. And notice this. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long. Anybody here want to live a short life? Does anybody here want to live a short life? Everyone wants to live a long, fulfilling, prosperous life. Isn't that so? You have people who are on their deathbeds and the doctor tell them they got only a short time to live. Boy, they're doing everything that they could to make it a little bit longer. No one wants to live a short life. And this is the promise. He says, this is the key. If you love and obey God, two things. Love and obey God. You will live long in the land that the Lord swore that he would give you. The New Testament has a parallel to this verse. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. As Moses lifted up the bronze serpent on a pole or the snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have what? 
eternal life, an abundant life, a fulfilling life, a long life. We all want a long life. So since life is found in Christ, you choose life and you choose to follow him. And so what we have in this passage then is, Israel was challenged by Moses to choose life by obeying God. And as a result, they will continue to experience the choice blessings of the Lord. Now we all want God's blessings. No, none of us that I could think of, I don't think there's anybody here who would like the blessings to stop, right? Is anyone here say, Lord, I had enough blessings, please stop, don't give me no more. No one here would say that, right? We all want the blessings to flow. And this is what the children of Israel had, uh, God wanted to do for them. And so God lets us decide whether to follow him or reject him instead of forcing his will on us. God is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on us. He's not going to force any, anything. No matter how good it is, he's not going to force it on us. What he wants is for us to realize that it's a matter of life and death, as the pastor says. I give you a choice. Life and death. He wants us to realize this is a matter of life and death. But he would much rather us choose life. That's his preference. He gives us a choice. But his preference is that we would choose life. So that we can really experience living it up from his perspective. Based on all that he wants for us and all that he has in store for us. And so this is a commitment we must not only confirm, but it's a commitment we must strengthen daily in every single encounter that we face in our lives. It's a firm commitment that we need to make. In his search for a new executive assistant, an eccentric billionaire gathered all of his junior executives at his mansion, took them out back, and he showed them a swimming pool. And in that swimming pool was a shark. And he said, the first person who was able to jump in the pool and swim to the other side will be my new executive assistant. Plus, there's a big fat bonus in it for him too. It wasn't just a few seconds. His butler hit the water and just barely made it to the other side. In amazement, the butler, the billionaire said to himself, okay, I'll go inside and write the check right away. The butler said, if it's all right with you, sir, I'd first like to get the person who pushed me in. I submit to you tonight, no one is going to push you into life against your will. No one. We must make the choice ourselves. Choosing to live it up requires responding to the choice God offers to live life to the fullest by having a purpose to live for, a positive attitude to live with, a persistence to live by, and a person to live for. Then, and only then, will we truly experience the life that God created us to live for his glory, for his honor, and to his praise. Amen? Let's pray. 
Our Father and God, you have promised that you've given us all that we need for life and godliness. In your promise of giving us abundant life, you made it quite clear that you want us to live life to the fullest in this life that you've given us here on earth. And then there's much more to come when we leave this earth and reside with you throughout the countless ages of, the, of eternity. So this life for us, Lord, is just a foretaste. You want us to live it to the fullest. We pray, O oh Lord, that we may do what is required by responding to your admonition to love you, to obey you, to be firmly committed to you in order that we may be able to live the life that you created for us and to fulfill the promises that you made that we would have life and have it in all of its fullness. Bless us, we pray, as we endeavor to do just that, regardless of what we encounter, that will try to deter us from that objective. Help us to fulfill your will according to your word. Bless us with your blessed benediction as we leave here and go to our homes. We pray for your continued safekeeping and protection. For we ask it in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.